Hello and welcome everyone to the fourth episode of our weekly podcast India Colonized and I am your host Umar Haq. In today's episode we are going to talk about the much less spoken child's war a war that had the potential to change the history of India. So at the end of the podcast you have a few questions to answer. Questions about how the history of India might have come out and what could have been the alternative history of India. Had the events of this war played out any differently? East India Company, since its advent in 1603, has consistently been victorious in India. It was for the first time in history of the world that the corporate company was gaining control over the politics of native land that they had began to conquer, the lands that they originally set foot on for trade. But during the journey from becoming traders to the imperial masters of India. the company and the britishers themselves faced many hurdles among those encounters was one that brought them humiliating defeat so much so that the defeat could have resulted in their expulsion and of the company from indian lands later on the company tried really hard to wash away this mark of shame from the forehead that it had made sure that the event never saw day's light again This makes it quite evident as to why the events that I'm going to narrate is something quite untouched in popular understanding of British history of India. This is also the reason why that many do not know that before the English fought the Marathas in Tipu Sultan they had also tried to wage war against the last influential Mughal emperor Aurangzeb Alamgir. But the efforts were all in vain. Once they realized the defeat the English ambassadors were sent off to the Mughal court and turned up with their hands tied and their nose rubbing the ground offering apologies and seeking royal pardons not to be punished for their mistakes What caused this dramatic end was the English tariff and taxes that were paid to the Mughals for their trade in India English had their ports in Surat Bombay Bengal and a few here and there from where they exported cotton muslin jaggery sugar spices and other items to europe and england which they held quite a great demand in europe to carry out the trade the english paid 3.5% of the total value of the goods as a tariff to the mughal authorities when they were paying this they did not have to pay taxes taxes was not paid separately on english goods so taxes were exempted on english trade in india this was a deal that had been struck between the english and the moguls exclusively however looking at the bright prospects of such low tariffs on goods and other trade uh, on other trade items the other traders in the area for like like the portuguese dutch armenians also got the offer settled for themselves by approaching the mughal administrators On receiving this news, Josiah Child, a merchant and one of the members of the controlling board of East India Company, became furious. It was unacceptable for Child to let anybody else receive the benefits of English efforts in India. At this moment, a decision made by Child does not only seem to be childish but also reaps of madness he commanded the english men deployed at the seaports of the arabian sea to block every mughal trade ship 
and as those ships retaliated, he ordered that the ships should be looted. He also sent three companies of British soldiers to Chittagong, asking them to gain control of the city along with the English contingents already present in Bengal. You for yourself can judge if this was an act of child's bravery or of his irrationality when he decided that with just 308 men, he would be able to defeat the most powerful and the wealthiest empires of the world. During this incident, India was being ruled by Aurangzeb Alamgir, whose army had become experienced after fighting the Marathas and the Deccan Sultans for many years. India at this point was at the peak of economic prosperity, with almost one-fourth of the world's GDP originating and being contributed by the Mughal dominions. Aurangzeb's territory is reached all the way from Kabul to Dhaka and from Kashmir to Pondicherry. Not only this, but the army of Bengal, the governor Shaista Khan, the same Shaista Khan who is known to have his thumb cut off by Shivaji, his army itself, just in Bengal, numbered at 40,000 strong. And the approximate strength of the Mughal army, the complete Mughal army, came close to 9 million. It comprised of all kinds of people, Persians, Arabs, Indians, and quite a few Europeans as well. When the East India Company headquarters in London declared war against the Mughals, the English ships in the Arabian Sea captured and looted Mughal ships. In a befitting reply, one of the ministers of Mughal court, Yaqut, using one of his biggest war vessels, surrounded Bombay and laid siege to the factory. John Hamilton, one of the residents and traders present in Bombay at the time, writes eyewitnessing accounts about the incidents that happened. He writes, that when Yakut arrived to siege the city, he turned up with a force 20,000 strong. People inside the fort began to run for their lives, with women carrying their children in arms, running helter-skelter, not understanding where to seek refuge. The fort was in complete chaos. Men running to grab arms and children crying, many of the elderly left unhelped and abandoned. Scorching sun and humid sea breeze only made the situation worse. Hamilton writes in his book that Yakut occupied surrounding company areas and he hoisted Mughal standards and flag as high as the eyes could see. The men who went to fight the Mughals outside were defeated, captured, humiliated and massacred and the rest of them who were not were imprisoned and chained and paraded through the streets of Bombay. Bombay was an island that was gifted to King Charles II of England as a dowry from the Portuguese, as they found it to be a useless piece of marshland. King Charles later handed it over to the East India Company for the trade purposes. That was when that the English built a fort to secure their trade interests in Bombay and the Arabian Sea. Bombay had become a settlement slowly as merchants, traders, priests, 
fathers and artisans, craftsmen and other European residents began to come to Bombay and started to reside. The city began to grow rapidly. The population began to take refuge in the fort which was besieged by Yakut. Soon, the garrison and the warehouses of the fort began to run out of its food resources. The weather was not too merciful on them, and just when things could not get worse, epidemic broke out in the fort, starting to taking lives of children and women and men fighting. Many of the British officers found an escape from the fort and surrendered to Yakut. Some even became Muslims. Yakut had the strength to hold on the siege for a long time, as he was well supplied and reinforced. He could have attacked the fort and taken it with himself. However, he thought that the fort, just like a ripe mango, would fall into his own arms, and that he felt that mounting pressure on the fort by firing cannons on them might just do the right trick. Similar incidents took place in Bengal when Shahista Khan had besieged the fort in Bengal and had cut every source of relief to the fort. As the governor of Bengal had blocked all ways leading to the fort, the siege of Bengal ended rather sooner than that of Bombay. The English in Bengal surrendered and sued for peace. However, the siege in Bombay continued for up close of 15 months. Defeated, humiliated, suffering, many killed, the English finally surrendered and sent two ambassadors to the imperial court of the Mughals to talk and decide the terms of peace. These two ambassadors arrived in chains, with their necks hanging in shame and their clothes torn like of beggars. When the prisoners arrived in front of the emperor, they were ordered by his general to lay themselves on the floor. Aurangzeb, infuriated with these ambassadors, asked them what they wanted. Both the ambassadors pleaded for mercy and ceded the mistakes of the company, and they asked the emperor to restore their license and request Yakut to end the siege of Bombay. The plead of the English was accepted on the terms that the English would have to pay a fine of rupees one and a half lakhs and to promise to remain obedient to Emperor's authority. And that Josiah Child would leave India and never return again. Apart from accepting these humiliating terms, the English did not have any other way out. They accepted the terms, ran to Bombay. They made haste when they reached Bombay and gave the emperor's letter to Yakut asking him to end the siege of Bombay immediately. The population of the fort had been decreased from thousands to a mere number of 60 to 70 people. The English took all efforts to make sure that the story of their defeat did not reach the citizens of England. When one of the Englishmen, John Empton, wrote a book about the incident six years later, he claimed that the reason for this defeat was the Mughal's deceitfulness, a claim for which he was later awarded a cash prize of £25, quite a considerable, point, uh, quite a considerable amount at that point of time, for what a statement he had made. 
He kept repeating and reiterating the bravery the English displayed in front of thousands of Mughal soldiers when they were clearly outnumbered and how strong they stood against them. John even went to the extent to claim that the victory was not of Yakut, but of the English who had won this battle. John does not take any mention about the treatment of the British ambassadors in the Mughal court. John Hamilton, the eyewitnessing account, on the other hand, wrote a book about what he witnessed, but the book took almost 40 years to get published, enough time for the public to have forgotten the incident of Child's War. But the most interesting question at the end of all of this arises is what would have been the state of Indian history had Aurangzeb not forgiven the Britishers and had he not restored the trading rights of the country? How would India have been today if only the single pardon had not been granted to the English? What if he had not felt so merciful at that point of time? What would have been forced to have left India, never to return again, lest discontinued their privileged trading rights. But also, why did Aurangzeb forgive them? Was he worried about the trade opportunities his land would miss on? Or was he worried that the English might grow powerful and retaliate? A question to which We do not have an answer, and probably we never will know why. Really be glad if you could share with us your experience of listening to today's episode and help us to improve further. Do feel free to contact us on any further questions or queries or suggestions that you might have on our social media pages or to us, uh, or you could write an email to us. All the links are in the description. Thank you very much. Have a good day.